Imagine Donald Trump as a woman named Donna. Would Donna Trump have been viewed as a blunt, honest, and refreshing candidate? Would she have won the election? Imagine Hillary Clinton as a man. Howard Clinton, he says and does the exact same things as Hillary. Would he be portrayed as a witch stirring a cauldron or riding a broomstick? Well, these are questions that my guest, Eleanor Herman, asks in her new book, Off With Her Head. In our chat, we talk about the history of misogyny, how it has maintained in society, and what we can do to move out of a misogynistic mindset. You're listening to We Need to Talk. Eleanor Herman, thank you so much for being on We Need to Talk today. I'm excited to chat with you. And I'm excited too. Thanks, Melinda, for having me. Absolutely. And congratulations on your new book, Off With Her Head. I am a fan. I love it. I love your writing. I, we're going to get into talking about it, but congrats. I know writing a book is, no matter how many times you do it, it's it's no small feat. So congratulations. Well, it's sort of like, um, instead of having children, you know, I have books and each one is, <laughs> instead of nine months, it's two years. I lock myself in a room and today, bing, it's out there in the world. And you've had a great career in terms of writing, but did you ever think that when you became a writer that you would be dedicated to doing more nonfiction uh, books with the focus on historical trends and behaviors? Because of some of your other books focus focus on things like that as well. So when you became a writer, what was your original passion or was this your original passion? Well, I started off as a journalist and I worked for a lot of um, you know, small newspapers, magazines, trade journals for many years. But my secret dream was to write a book, a book. Um, and I, two things happen. I hit 40 and then my mom died really suddenly. And I thought, mm. Eleanor, you got to get you got to get your rearing gear here because, you know, time passes. Things happen. You may never even have your name on that book. And then I tried to figure out, well, what am I going to write about? And the only thing I really knew a lot about was um, history, particularly um, European history in the Middle Ages and, and Renaissance. And I started looking into um, what aspect had not actually been written much about yet. And I found that history has mostly been written by men, about men, for men to read. And so mm -hmm. there were all of these wonderful women's stories that had not been fully explored. And I found that um, the lives of uh, royal European mistresses had not been done, certainly not in the way that I thought they, they should be. So that was my first book. I put sex in the title so that, you know, somebody would at least consider publishing my book. <laughs> it wouldn't just end up in the trash can. Um, but it's mostly about human relationships, what people want, why they do the weird and sometimes horrible things they do. Yeah. Um, and then I found that that works so well. It's out in 28 languages that I just, I just kept going. And this is my 14th book, I believe. So how did you come to write about this specific topic about demonizing women? Because I mean, we could talk about misogyny and its presence in our current culture for hours, I'm sure. But what made you decide, you know, what? I'm going to look at the history of how misogyny has really been around for 3000 years, but also add a little humor to it as we discuss the history. You know, um, I had already researched so many famous and powerful women in history for my other books. And I had this to be read stack of books um, that were, I, I had like, I don't know, 30, 40, I, people give them to me over the years. I, I couldn't read them because I have to read at least a hundred books in order for me to think I know enough to write a book about it. Sure, for sure. So I, I had finished, uh, I think I had finished Sex with Presidents. Anyway, 
Uh, I, I plucked one out and it was uh, Stacey Schiff's biography of Cleopatra. And in looking at the, the organized sexist takedown of, of a highly affected fe effective female ruler by the Roman Republic, you know, the, the patriarchy there, she's a slut, she's frivolous, she's untrustworthy, she's a murderer, she's not pretty, she's all of this stuff. I thought, wait a minute, that reminds me a lot of what happened to Hillary Clinton in the 2016 election. Yeah. And it's not about policy because we can analyze Cleopatra's policies and Hillary Clinton's and, you know, we can discuss taxation and international. I'm talking about the width of her hips. Right. I'm talking about how she does her hair, her mm. voice, things like this that have been. I thought, can this really have been going on for 2000 years. And, and it actually goes back before that. I mean, if you look at the story of Adam and Eve, right? God told both of them, you're not supposed to eat this particular fruit. <laughs> right. Eve says, after talking to the snake, hey, Adam, I think we should eat this fruit. And he says, okay, let's eat it. So, so Christianity has used this to demonize, vilify, and deride women as, you yeah. know, we're all Eve's. How come Adam gets a pass for being a complete dumbass that he he did what God didn't you know told him not to do? He listened. I ask to this question often as someone that grew up in the church. I never understood why no one is focusing on Adam. Everybody blames Eve. Because Melinda, if there's this theme of blame the woman that goes through history. Let's look at Edward VIII, the English king, the British king who abdicated in the 1930s to, mm -hmm. to marry the the twice uh, divorced. Baltimore socialite Wallace Warfield Simpson. Well, it's all about blaming her. What did she do to him? You know, she she hypnotized him and she used her sexual wiles. And nobody's like, you know, this was a Nazi loving dolt who who did, would do anything to get out of his position. And he did. Yeah. He got married and, and, and left. It's it's interesting as I was been reading your book and, and talking with my husband, who's a huge history buff, and just even watching like movies and um, just television shows, and then obviously being a part of the political world and being a part of that, it blows my mind how prevalent misogyny is and how it's just part of regular culture and, and how far back it goes, as you mentioned. And I don't think, I, don't, I wouldn't say I didn't realize it until I was reading your book, but it really put a huge spotlight on it that made me like, take a step back and realize, oh my gosh, it's in everything that we do. It is, Melinda. It's like the minute we come out of our mothers, we start inhaling it and we're, and we're raised this way and men are raised this way, which is why I do advise, you know, to cut us, cut ourselves and others a little slack because yeah. it's, it's just, it's um, in all of us. And something that deeply troubled me and still does now and then in writing this book, I realized my own misogynistic tendencies mm. you know some woman comes on tv and she's brilliant and she's talking and i'm like you know why doesn't she have lipstick i mean like what why would i even go there with that yeah. and then a couple of weeks ago i had written um a post for a, a woman's political website called genderontheballot.com it's coming out thursday and they said eleanor would you add a, a biography at the end so i'm you know eleanor herman wrote these 14 books they're out in 28 languages she's done tv blah 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 and then I wrote in track changes, you know, this sounds a bit boastful. Hmm. This sounds a bit self-aggrandizing. Should I turn tone it down to be more modest and humble? And then I wrote, wait, would a man be asking this question? Right. I 
I don't think so. It's still in me. Even having spent two years with this subject, I can't eradicate it. No, you're, you're very, you're very correct in that because I think we, I definitely have gone through those moments as well. And, and I love that you also ask in your book, whether misogyny is in our DNA or if it's learned behavior, because I've even had those conversations in terms of things being in our DNA or it's learned behavior when it comes to things like racism or homophobia, you know, is it a learned behavior or is it in our DNA? But speaking specifically about women that participate in misogyny, do you think it's sort of a survival tactic in order? to be accepted because I know for me being a part of two minority groups being an African-American woman I have definitely witnessed that people will participate in that culture in order to not be the one that's picked on and not be the one that that that's in in the spotlight in a negative way like oh if I can just if I can you know say what they're saying and kind of talk about that woman or talk about this person even though they're a part of my oppressed group maybe I won't be the one that's getting the oppression at this moment so I'm curious if you think that it's also a survival tactic when you see women participating in misogyny I think to a certain extent it is and I don't know if it if it often rises to the level of conscious thought, Melinda, I think a lot of us do things based on our conditioning. Yeah. And you know, most of us are good people. We're born as beautiful little children. We're, we're raised in a particular time, place, family, religion, and culture. And yeah. we want to do well. We want to be praised. We, we want to fit in. We don't want to make trouble, most of us. Um, and so we, we just absorb what's around us. And a lot of it is misogyny. And, yeah. you know, it is easier to be the good sport and let guys tell the sexist jokes and not make trouble. And so, yeah, I I think to a certain extent uh, that is true. Yeah. And you talked, you obviously talked about how you've participated in it, but have you personally experienced the demonization in your personal life and also as your career as a writer? And I know you even talked about why do we put like female in front of things? Why can't we just be a writer? But I'm sure people refer to you as a female writer. So how have you experienced that in your career and your personal life? You know, there's always been a bit of of sexism, um, but I... I think that the real demonization of women is reserved for those who are way, way out of their place, right? That they they are uh, running for president or senator, or uh, they they are head of a Fortune 500 company. And I am not, thank goodness, on that level. <laughs> I, I I like sitting in my room with my cats writing funny funny chapters for my, yes. my book. So I, I have not experienced that level until today. I've had a lot of um, radio interviews where we're talking about abortion and misogyny. Mm. And, and so after today, I, I might indeed be on the, um, the, the brunt end of some vicious hate, but so far I, I have not been. Well, that's when you know, you've really made it right. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, you know, and also in reading your book, you asked some incredible questions, which I love. I'm a huge question asker just mm-hmm. on my social media pages because I love to engage in conversations. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you is, do you think asking people to imagine certain situations, certain women specifically as men is an effective 
way to get them to kind of wrap their mind around that they're being misogynistic because whenever we do that, well, what if it was this situation or what if this was situation? Mm. I don't think some people are ready to really confront their hypocrisy or really put themselves in the situation of being like, oh, I never thought of it that way because that requires empathy. And what I have noticed when it comes to a lot of people that participate in these isms and, and, and being misogynistic or racist or homophobic or whatever is that they're like, well, that's not the situation. So I, I can't really imagine or pretend this is what it is when it isn't what it is, you know? So do you think it is an effective way to ask them to kind of do that role reversal in their head to get them to understand? Um, your question is a very rich one. So a couple of, of different points. In terms of facing our own hypocrisy, our own isms, there's always going to be a lot of people that that are ready, that they have the self-awareness, yeah. they have the wisdom. Maybe I, I imagine many of them have a few years on them and, and you know, they are, they are questioning. Um, they they, well, they want to do better and they're mm -hmm. taking a very careful, close look at themselves and they're willing to, to look at those questions. And then there's always going to be those who are who feel that they're losing something um, by by change, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Um, men have always been told uh, from little childhood on up that their main role in life is to work hard and support their family. Mm -hmm. And when that's threatened because, you know, there are women competing with them and people of color. And in 1950, my father graduated uh, John Hop Johns Hopkins University and applied for a job as a newspaper writer at the News American in Baltimore. There were three white guys sitting in the room, right? So mm -hmm. it, it was going to be one of the three. And it was really easy back then. And nowadays, it's it's not easy. There's so much more competition. So yeah. I think I think that um, th there is a lot of fear and there's a lot of, of reaction to that among people who are are not really open and receptive to self-analysis. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also think that it is helpful to determine misogyny by flipping the gender. You know, I, I asked myself when writing this book on several occasions, I mean, what what if it's not misogyny? What if this individual is just a really poor candidate, right? Or yeah. So so what? Which is a fair question that we should be fair, asking. Absolutely. How do you know when it's misogyny, or how do you know when they're they're just not a good a good candidate, or a good ruler? So uh, so that my brain would not explode. I, I came up with uh, with this. So we would. We would, for instance, and I have this funny little list that I want to talk to you about. I, yeah. I took little quotes from the book that had been said by political competitors and the media about certain female candidates. And then I switched the gender. Mm -hmm. So instead of the woman, I made it, the statement was said about a man. And, yeah. and so you need to tell me if these sound really weird or ridiculous, right? <laughs> okay. First one. Men who are sweet, cheery, and non-confrontational will be rewarded, right? Oh, he should show a little modesty. He's too bitchy. Humility is not one of his strong points. Unbelievable. In the same week, he wore the same suit twice. He doesn't have the right body to be on TV. <laughs> No one ever said that about Donald Trump, but they did about Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Uh, he should smile a lot more. <laughs> and there are dozens more, but let's end with my personal favorite, which is this one. He launched his political career in the bedroom by sleeping with a powerful woman. 
That was said about Kamala Harris because yeah. she had a relationship in the mid 90s with Willie Brown, who was a, a politician in, in California. So you see, when you say these things about men, they're ridiculous. When you say them about women, they just sound normal. Yeah. That's yeah. how you know misogyny is involved. Absolutely. It's also interesting because even more so, and that's why I feel like, and we'll, we're going to talk about this a little bit, that I do feel once you kind of participate in one ism, you probably participate in the other ones, right? So as you're reading these, I'm thinking also the same people that were probably saying those things about Hillary absolutely were saying things about Obama. You know what I mean? I, I do. And here's why. If you as an individual are, are willing to throw tens of millions of good people under the bus because they're a little different than you, they're they're female, let's say, right? Um, I think you're probably very likely to send black people to hell in a handbasket because they're yeah. a little different and they're yeah. competing with with white men. And, and there again, I don't I don't know that people who are doing this are really aware of it. I think they're yeah. just reacting, you know, which is what people often do. It's like when the doctor hits your knee with that rubber hammer and your leg flies out. Yeah. And, and so I, I often say, and I, I say this about myself too, sometimes your reaction is just plain wrong and unfair, right? Yes. It's unjust, you know, consigning people to less opportunity, to less justice, but, and you can't help it. That's the result of conditioning to a large extent, but we can help our second thought, you know, yeah. like what I just thought wasn't right. That's not what I really mean. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that there's any scenario, because you talked about competition a lot, do you think that there's any scenario where, you know, the majority of people would think, oh, this woman is qualified, this woman does have the the look, this woman does have the right temperament, this woman would be a good leader? Or do you think that we're so far gone as a society where that may never become the case? Oh, I think it will become the case. You know, we we are making progress. We have a black female vice president. Yeah. You know, Hillary Clinton ran for president in 2016. And, you know, we have many um, female congresswomen and, and some senators. And so, you know, it's not nearly balanced anywhere near 50-50, but right. it's, you know, we, we are making progress. I think right now, our country is so divided by by so many things. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't think we're going to have a uh, a female president in the next until things calm down until mm -hmm. we can just take a deep breath and 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 really look at you know a person's qualifications rather than her hair and the width of her ankles and I, all of that stupid stuff yeah yeah i just wish there was and i i mean think i think we know the the demographic of people that will always pretty much have the the issues that they do with women with people of color coming to the forefront but even when we talk about you know qualifications for example let's look at justice katanji brown she's the most qualified person that is now on the Supreme Court and it didn't matter. So that for me is what's so frustrating is that when they say work hard to get what you want and then they do work hard, then there's still an issue for people simply because she's a woman or a woman of color. Yeah. And she's, she's both as are yeah. you. So it's, yeah. it, it's doubly hard. Um, so Shirley Chisholm, who was the first black female um, candidate for president in uh 
let's say 1972, mm-hmm. I think it was, she said, you know, she was on the receiving end of vilification for both her race and her gender. But she said it was worse being female than, <laughs> than being black, that there were some black congressmen and they didn't have to put up with all of the BS that she yeah, had to. Yeah, it's definitely a double whammy. That's for sure. <laughs> You know, it's funny looking at politically, since since that's the world we're in right now, um, looking at the makeup of congressmen and House of Representatives. And yes, as you mentioned, we are getting better. There is more diversity across the board. But why do you think the male ego specifically has gotten to the point where they believe they're more capable in leadership positions than women? I don't know if they believe they're more capable. I think maybe deep down, they know they're not necessarily mm, capable, mm. and that's what really upsets them that all of these capable women and 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 women of color are coming to take their jobs and yeah. then <laughs> and then because they you know that the main purpose of life as a man is to is to be important and have a powerful job and support yeah. his wife and kids that they feel on some level again maybe not consciously but that this is being taken from them and that they need to fight using whatever weapon it is, whether, you know, it's accusing her of uh, being overweight or having a a shrill voice or being vaguely unlikable or, or making memes of her as a witch with a pointy hat and a broom or Medusa with all the snakes. You know, men don't get this kind of criticism. But I think there are some of them, not obviously not not all, not even most, I would say, you know, some of them just go to great lengths to to try to keep um, their hold on the patriarchy alive. Yeah, yeah. And it's easy to vilify women in order to to keep a hold on that. I call it the misogynist handbook. It's one of those rare books written long before writing was even invented. I I love the points in that. (laughs) Right. It goes back to the cave and uh, women are in their place. And, you know, I think. Until fairly recently, there were reasons for that, that that men could go out and spear the mastodon meat and women are just physically not as adept at that kind of thing. And and men could go out and battle with their spears, swinging a battle axe. And, you know, women probably shouldn't have been doing that. But, you know, now with um, with education uh, and and other opportunities and we don't need to swing battle axes. Yes, I think it's best for every every country, every society, when the best of the best rise and have equal opportunities to, yes. to become politicians, to become doctors and, and, and financiers and heads of Fortune 500 companies. Let's have the very best talent, regardless of color or gender. Yes, I agree. I agree. And I, I think for me personally, I just think a more diverse world is the kind of world that I want to live in, because I think that gives giving more people opportunities then children see that from all walks of life. And they're like, I can do that too. And I don't know why we wouldn't want to have that kind of culture and that kind of world, you know? And, you know, from, from the traditional Republican standpoint, it helps the economy, right? You've got all these people working, all this talent, all of these people getting patents for their amazing inventions. Look at Afghanistan now. 50% 50% of the population is wrapped up in an ugly bag staying at home. So how do we know how many amazing you know, engineers and inventors and doctors and educators are, are not allowed to do that and contribute yeah. to that society and that economy? Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm curious in the research that you've done just on 
demonization of women and, and misogyny over the years. And I know we mentioned Adam and Eve earlier, but have you found uh, a deep connection between religion and misogyny in your research? Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. When you look at how Christianity has lambasted women for what, you know, the mythical Eve supposedly did in the in the Garden of Eden. And then, you know, in the Greek myths, it was a very similar creation story where, you know, man was created uh, and he was great. And uh, then Zeus created woman actually as a curse to trip men up because huh. he was he was mad at them. And so when he created her, he gave her this box, you know, and um, word got out that you're not supposed to go anywhere near that woman. She's got this box with curses. And so there was this really stupid dude named Epimetheus who looked at her and thought, wow, she's gorgeous. I'm going to marry her. And of course she marries him, opens the box and all of the evils of the world fly out. So in in the ancient world of Greece and uh, later Rome, all women were blamed, you know, for what Pandora did. You can't trust them. They're disobedient. They bring evil into the world. But nobody pointed the finger at Epimetheus, who was such a (laughs) stupid guy, sort of like Adam, like, hey, you're not supposed to do that. Oh, yeah, I think I'm going to do that. Right. So men are not blamed for that. But, you know, an interesting similar example is Medusa. Everybody knows Medusa with the snakes right here. You know, she was a very beautiful woman in the, in the ancient Greek myth. And she was uh, raped by the, the sea god Poseidon in a temple of Athena. And <laughs> Athena blamed her, not Poseidon, for, um, you know, bringing filth and sex into her holy shrine and turned her into a monster with with snakes i don't think i actually knew the history of medusa so that's interesting to learn the reason why well you know in in the ancient world in the bronze age and before snakes were a symbol of female power Mm. so whenever perseus the hero cuts off the head of medusa uh, and holds it up by her writhing snakes you see it's sort of like the patriarchy wins over Womankind. Interesting. I love this history and, you know, lesson. When, there, there are there are uh, memes you can Google of Donald Trump holding up Hillary Clinton's head by its snaky hair. Oh my gosh, I feel like I've seen those for sure. Um, yeah. I speaking of Donald Trump, I do. I was laughing reading Donald as Donna. <laughs> yeah, Donna Trump. Oh, because there's just no way on this earth that that would have been allowed if she, if he were a woman. So, okay, for your listeners, picture Donna Trump, who says and does the exact same things as Donald did and, you know, was, a, was the uh, entrepreneur of, of these hotels and casinos and office building. Okay. Um, Donna is very much overweight, wears the same baggy blue pantsuit for years on end. She, above her orange face, she has fantastically cantilevered yellow hair. <laughs> She bellows and booms about how she only she can save the country. Um, she insults gold star gold star families and handicapped people, and um, she has had three husbands, all of whom she has uh, philandered upon, and boasted about grabbing men by their private parts. Would Donna Trump have been elected? Absolutely not. Right. I don't even think that Donna Trump would have made it to the primary. No. Let alone the, the, the final election. 
So that is another example of how, when you switch the gender, that you know it's misogyny. You can see that there's misogyny yeah, involved. Absolutely, absolutely. That was a really great example because even well, I I was surprised that he got as far as he did anyway because I'm like, how are we just accepting this? But there's absolutely no way if 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 he were a woman that it would have even gotten this far at all. I love that. I Correct. that to me is a great flip. But again, people will say, well. He's, he's not a woman. He's Donald Trump. It's different. It's different for some reason for people when it comes to men. And that's what's so frustrating. It shouldn't be different. We should have the same expectations, the same morals, the same things for everybody across the board. But do you ever think that that you know, will it, change? Yeah. I Well, yes and no. I, I think there's in our lifetime, certainly there's going to be a slow improvement. Yeah. And I think a lot of the, um, the tumult and chaos in our country right now is a reaction. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a it's a reaction to having had a black man in the White House, which is a culture shock. Yep. Um, it's uh, to some extent a, a reaction about women and minorities advancing. You know, people feel threatened. Um, there, you know, change is often scary. So I think when that eventually settles down, and and as a historian, I can say for sure it will. I just don't know when. Um, I I think that things will improve. But I also think, so, you know, in terms of let's look at racism and misogyny and compare them for a moment. Mm-hmm. Racism as we know it is a construct created about 500 years ago right. to um, justify the institution of African-based slavery. Mm-hmm. So if you say that they are stupid and they're sort of like animals and they're not really human and all of that, you can justify using human beings as animals and owning them. Um, and it's it's not, you know, the difference between a black man and a white man is, is just skin, yeah. right? Yeah. It's not the plumbing or the biology. When, when you look at the history of misogyny and how it is in the DNA and it is biological and it goes back to the cave 30, 50,000 years ago. I, I think that one's going to be harder to, to fix. Yeah. I mean, they're both hard. And I, it, it, just as you're saying that, I, it's interesting because there are so many parallels with both, at least in, in my yes, experience, yes. right? And I don't know. I, I do a lot of these conversations. I talk with people that I agree with, disagree with. And I just don't know when something is so ingrained in another human being, how you get them to, to see that, that their way of thinking is just wrong. Because to me, there's a clear difference between right and wrong, right? You talk about how people justified owning humans, right? Th- that's clearly wrong, right? But people mm-hmm. will say, well, at the time, it was good for the economy, or well, at the time, that's just what it was. And I feel like they say the same things about, well, that's just how it is with women. That's just how it is. You know, men are meant to lead. Men are, especially when you go into the religion thing. So it's hard to figure out steps to take in order to break those things down. But what do you think a step could be for us as a culture and a society to start to diminish the presence of misogyny when it has been ingrained in this country for so long? The first step to finding a solution to anything is to realize that there's a problem. Yeah. yeah. Right. If you think this is all fine, you know, the way we're being, then there's not going to be any, any change. And um, I think after the 2016 election, you know, when, when Hillary Clinton, she, she she was the subject of such vile misogyny um, and she was sort of, you know, politely swatting it away, like, well, I'm not going to justify that with the response. And that didn't work. Mm -hmm. And so for 2020, 
um, several uh, American women's political organizations put out media guides, which which I thought were incredible. And they sent them to every website, newspaper, radio station, TV station in, in the U.S. that does news. So some of the questions were, are you punishing women and celebrating men for doing the same thing? Are you suggesting ambition is a bad thing? Because that's ambition in women is bad. Yeah. Ambitious in men is lauded and applauded. Okay. Are you putting too much emphasis on appearance? Uh, are you focusing on weight loss or gain? Because there again, that's almost all on women. Are you calling a black woman angry? That's the trope for, for black women. Yeah. Are you using words like unlikable or unelectable? So, so these, these guides, I think, were, were really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and they need to just keep doing it. Just keep, And I, I hope my book plays you know, some part in just getting the message out there so we can just take a breath and say, I mean, even women like me, like, oh, my gosh, it's, it's in me. Yeah. It's part of me. Yeah. It's, it's everywhere. But I love that you and have the self-awareness we, to be able to say that, you know? Because some people, like we said before, aren't there yet. Right. And I have hope that uh, most people will at some point in their lives before they die um, attain the point of, of self-awareness and being open and receptive to, to looking at things in new and improved ways and, and fairer ways. Because what we're talking about here is, is just denying people the same opportunity. Yeah. You know, if you want to criticize Hillary Clinton or any other female candidate for their their approach to the border or taxation or energy. That's fine. And we can have conversations about that. But, you know, if her ankles are big and, you know, her voice is shrill, that has nothing to do with it. And and that really needs to stop. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I love your book. I think it's going to make a mark. I hope everybody goes out and gets it. What do you, given your history of writing, what do you view yourself writing about and talking about next? You know, after I've been doing this for 20 years and uh, I'm taking a little break I've got got different TV and movie deals in the works, so I hope that I'll be able to um, to to help consult with them if they come to fruition. So so right now, I think I'm just going to um, be quiet for a while and work on my self awareness. <laughs> I love that answer. <laughs> Everybody needs to take a pause for for a minute. So that's wonderful. Well, I wish you so much success with this book. And I'm so grateful that you took the time to chat with me. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you you so much, Melinda. What a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. And let everybody know where they can get your book or follow you on social media. Sure. So uh, my website is eleanorherman.com, E-L-E-A-N-O-R-H-E-R-M-A-N. I am on Facebook. I am on Twitter, Eleanor Herman Author. And I am on Instagram. Wonderful. And where can they pick up Off With Her Head? You could go online and just pick it up anywhere. There's there's also a uh, an audio book, which awesome. is quite good. Did you do the audio book? No, I don't have a voice. Part of being self-aware is knowing that I don't have the voice to read an audio book. But I did, <laughs> I did audition several uh, readers and I found the one with that little snarky twang that, that gets love it. more in the book. Yeah. I love it. Well, congrats. Thank you again for joining me. Thank you so much. Thank you again for listening to another episode of We Need to Talk. Make sure you like, comment, subscribe, and share. And join us next week for a new conversation. We need to talk.